This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. Mento LLC Trade Consulting focuses on issues of duty minimization, recovery, and elimination, while also helping our clients with trade compliance issues of both the import and export nature and global cargo security. You can reach us at 978-317-3250 or email me directly at pete.mento at Mento LLC. This podcast is also brought to you by Undeniable Technologies. Constructing the backbone to global trade based on the standards of the world's largest trade organization, the Known Alliance. Undeniable is making global commerce faster, safer, more secure, and easier than ever before. Learn more at undeniable.net. Alba Wheels Up is on a mission to be the best freight forwarder and customs house broker on the market. Our expert knowledge and experience provides the perfect solution for your freight forwarding needs. When you know more, your clients do better. Alba Wheels Up, success delivered. To learn more, visit us at albawheelsup.com. From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete Mento. Welcome back to the Trade Geek Podcast for what is our first real episode of the fourth season. And wow, am I excited about this one. There are people who come in and out of your life. There are folks who you'll meet and, uh, you know, you don't really know where it's going to go. Alex Suhanoff is certainly, for me, at least one of those people. I was very fortunate uh, in a lot of ways to have failed up when it came to my college experience. I'm sure it's not going to come as a surprise to most of you that I was a bit of a juvenile delinquent when I was in high school. I did all of the bad things. I, um, I drank and um, probably committed a few petty crimes, generally got away with them, and all at the same time managed to keep pretty good grades, did the athletic thing, did the you know student leadership thing. And when it came time to apply to colleges, I applied to the college I thought I was going to go to, didn't get in, and found myself on the outside looking in. My mom, God rest her soul, without my knowledge, (laughs) reached out to a boat school in Maine. And that boat school in Maine ended up kind of being my salvation. I guess nothing can kind of end up being your salvation. It was my salvation. And I ended up going to school in the middle of nowhere in a place called Castine, Maine in a town that had no stoplights, just a couple of stop signs and was essentially run by the young men and women who went there. It was a very egalitarian environment, which for me at the tender age of 18 years old, who sincerely, I thought I I, I thought I knew what I was doing with my life. It didn't take me very long 
before um, a young lady named Holly Nigerian showed me exactly how little I knew and how, uh, how far I needed to come. I might've, um, you know, I might've been raised in New Hampshire and West Texas, but I sure as hell grew up in Castine, Maine. And one of the things that happened there was I was, I was teamed up with my, my roommate, a guy named Steven Spratt. We called him Jack for obvious reasons, Jack Spratt. And Jack was a very studious young man. He was uh, a relatively serious young man. Man, was he fun. Um, Jack and I were in Delta Company and we were inseparable. He was exactly what I needed when I was 18 years old. He wanted to get through that place. I just kind of wanted to be there. Jack taught me an entire semester <laughs> an entire semester of principles of marine engineering in one night before our final. To this day, I still remember that the, you know, main methods of, of heat conduction or uh, conduction convection radiation. <laughs> but you're wondering why I'm telling you that story. It's because years later, I would meet Jack's roommate from surface warfare officer school while he was uh, an ensign in the Navy preparing to uh, go out into the fleet, he was, he was uh, partnered up with a guy who went to Mass Maritime. And you've got to understand that for us at Maine Maritime Academy, not M-A-I-N, but M-A-I-N-E, as in the state, Massachusetts Maritime was the New York Yankees to our Boston Red Sox. They were the Montreal Canadiens to our, our Boston Bruins. You know, they were, they were the enemy. And in a good-hearted sense, you know, we respected the game, but we, we hated the uniform. I played sports in college, as many of you know. I was a very serious lacrosse player. I ran across country, did the rugby thing. Um, mass maritime games were, were as, as brutal and as ugly and as serious as anything else that we did. And losing to Mass Maritime Academy was a mark of shame. It didn't matter what it was. If we had a chess team and we played Mass Maritime Academy, it was going to get serious. But once it was over with, we got along like peas and carrots. So here comes this guy, Alex. And, um, you know, Jack introduces me to him. And it was funny because we had so much in common. We were both kind of goofy guys. We were goofy and funny and I could see why Jack was so close to him. He was clever. And not only was he clever, but he was kind. And he wanted to do the right thing. And I'd love to sit here and tell you that Alex and I were a whole bunch alike and that's why he and Jack were friends. But you know, that's where the differences stopped. For all of his kindness and goofiness, Alex was a very serious guy. And he was raised a lot different than I was in a family a lot different than I was and had a background a lot different than mine. Alex had some things to prove. Alex had a mission and he impressed me immediately when I first met him. Unlike the rest of us, um, Alex has never stopped with his actual commitment to the United States Navy. Um, for those of you who have not listened to the podcast before, you might not know that Alex is still in the United States Navy Reserve and he serves as a captain in the Navy. He's also a merchant marine captain. He has sailed as a vessel master and at the same time, he is also a pilot. 
And while we were on the podcast, I said to him, you realize that you're a captain, 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 <laughs> a captain of the United States Navy Reserve, a captain on merchant vessels, and a captain as a harbor pilot. You know, I don't, I don't know a lot of guys that can say they've done that. And that's the thing about Alex is I don't know a lot of guys that can say they've done the things that Alex has done. Alex and his wonderful wife, Beth, they've, they've adopted a young man. His name's Andre. And he himself is just a superlative young man, an athlete, a scholar, and a kind, sweet man who's got a lot to prove because he got that example from his wonderful father. I say these wonderful things about Alex because on the podcast today, you're going to hear about a guy who started his own company recently because he felt compelled to go out and do the right thing. A company that I'm excited to uh, you know, have as part of the Known Alliance, a company I'm excited to have working with us, and a company that makes me feel more confident as we begin to look at these difficult times regarding cybersecurity. Alex and his partners have started up a company called the True North Group, which is going to be focusing on keeping freight, logistics, and trade moving by working with their clients to defend against cyber threats. They are going to be focused on maritime. They are going to be focused on certainly, uh, you know, the port security and the infrastructure that goes along with it. But I've got a feeling knowing Alex that the more he sees opportunity, the more he's going to feel responsible for it. And that's the kind of guy he is. Once an Eagle Scout, always an Eagle Scout. We have a lot of fun today. Um, we certainly get into it. And I think you're going to find that our conversation at times gets pretty deep into a topic that we're both passionate about. Most importantly, though, I think you're going to find that the conversation today is being led by someone who truly understands the problem and isn't backing down from it. And in an environment and in a time when I really do see some grim days ahead of us, it makes me feel comfortable to know that there are people like Alex out there. And, you know, on a postscript, I just wanted to take a second to say that it makes me happy to know there's people like my old roommate Jack out there too. I don't talk enough about the folks that I went to school with. And I brought up two names a moment ago. The first one is uh, Jack. Jack still goes to sea. You know, he lives up in Castine now. I'm really excited to see him this weekend. He and um, one of my other classmates, Gordon MacArthur, who now Gordon is the, he's the ship's master of the training vessel at Maine Maritime Academy. But man, am I excited to see Jack. Jack and his wife, Christine, are very close to me. And they have two wonderful kids. Their daughter, Nora, wants to be an astronaut. And when you hear that, you're like, oh, that's great. I wanted to be one too. But I don't think you understand. I'm pretty damn sure she's going to be one. <laughs> and then there's Holly. Holly Nigerian. And I don't know if she listens to the podcast anymore. Holly is a, was a captain in the United States Coast Guard, and she retired recently. And right now she's struggling and battling cancer. She taught me a lot about what it meant to be strong. She taught me a lot about what it meant to overcome fear. And if there's anyone I've ever met in my entire life that's gonna fight this thing, it's her. So Holly, on behalf of every single man and woman that you got through indoctrination, on behalf of every single man and woman that you served with, on behalf of every single life that you've ever touched, I want you to know personally that we're all rooting for you. We all love you very much, and we know you're going to beat this thing. All right. With that, everyone, fair winds following seas. 
And I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with Captain Alex Ohanoff from the True North Group. Welcome back, everyone, to the Trade Geek Podcast. This is 100% manufactured energy right now because Alex and I were talking before we started and we were both drained from a day of dealing with our own individual crap, uh, both being small business owners, which for Alex is kind of new. So I want to welcome my good friend, uh, Captain Alex Hanoff to the Trade Geek Podcast. Welcome him back. You are one of, uh, it's like SNL. We have the five timers club. I think this is your third time on a podcast. I don't know, fifth, sixth time, whatever. There's going to be a smoking jacket eventually, I suppose, but welcome back, Alex. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, it's nice to have you back. So um, for those of you that don't know, um, none of my guests like to talk about themselves. So I always like to do that up front. Alex um, grew up in Virginia, I believe. Is that correct? No, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. But I got, but I got Virginia family. My family's back down there. So. And what town did you grow up in in Massachusetts? South Hadley. Oh. Out oh, near so, the Berkshires. Uh, not far from um, that there women's college. Um, is it Mount Holyoke? Is that the right one I'm thinking of? Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, I, um, I dated an absolutely bat guano crazy woman. While I was at the Maritime Academy, the right one, not the crap one you went to, um, who had been kicked out of the Coast Guard Academy. Um, and I can freely admit this now. Our mutual friend, Jack, will remember her. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I only dated this girl because my mother hated her. Wow. Yeah, that was the only reason I dated her. Because my mother disliked her. That's a God's, God's honest truth. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, and then you, um, much like the rest of us, had nowhere else to turn and had to attend a maritime academy. Yes, yes, and uh, you know, it, you know, it wasn't far from the old days of either go to jail or go to sea. So, um. <laughs> you, uh, were, do, were you one of these? Were you like uh, our our friend Jack? Did you want to go to a service academy and and ended up rolling snake eyes on that one, or what was the deal? Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to serve in the military, but when I once when I went down to see the academy uh, for my tour, I knew I wanted to go there. And the ship had just come back from cruise, and um, you know, it was just the way the, the cadets there walked in uniform. They had come back from sea, and they were, you know, they were on a mission. To, you could just tell when they were walking to class, they were going someplace to get something done. And to me, that was very impressive. And I knew right then I wanted to go to that school. Wow. So did you apply to other schools or did you just apply to mass? Marriage? Oh yeah, I did. I applied to, you know, VMI and Norwich and, um, you know, UMass, you know, a number of schools like that. And, and, um, you know, I was accepted at others. Um, but mass maritime was the one that, uh, I really wanted to, to go to. And my parents were excited because <laughs> the price was right and it was practical for me. So. Did you think you were a screw up when you graduated from high school? I thought I was unfocused and immature. Um, you know, I got to be a better student towards the end of my high school time. Um, I was an athlete. I was an Eagle Scout. I am an Eagle Scout. But you know, the academics, the focus on academics had always been very difficult for me. I just, I was kind of bored with sort of the canned rigor. I wanted to be outside. And I, you know, I grew up in the countryside and 
you know, hunted and fished. And that was exciting to me, you know, being stuck in a, in a classroom wasn't exciting to me. I was trying to explain, I have a, a dear friend of mine, friends, he and his wife both, and they have a son of theirs. I, I took him up to Castine to see the Academy and he is, I'm telling you, this kid is hooked, right? He's hooked. Mm. He wants to go bad. He wants to be an engineer. So we've lost one to the engine room, but he wants to be an engineer. <laughs> and um, both he and his father, when they got up there, there was this sort of, you know, his dad likes to work with his hands. He's, he's um, kind of a gearhead. There's this moment of like, wow, I feel like I kind of belong here, you know, but um, mm. he would fall into this extreme of, I said to him, there tends to be two types of guys that went to school here with me. And there weren't a lot of guys in between. There were a lot of guys that went to the academy with me who were very much squared away from almost the first day. These were real serious, um, had their crap together, knew what they wanted. And they knew how to have fun. Don't get me wrong. These guys weren't sticks in the mud. I didn't go to school with a lot of people like that. Like everyone hmm. at school knew how to have a good time. And then there were guys like me who were, who probably would not have made it through a four-year college in four years. I probably would have been on the 10-year plan, maybe a couple different mm. schools before it was all over with. Um, and Maine Maritime was extremely good for me for that reason. I was surrounded by our buddy Jack, um, you know, my friend Toby Treblecock, Mike Tully, uh, Chad Shimanek, you know, just all these guys that weren't going to let me fail. They weren't going to let me screw up. I had Holly Nigerian. I, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. I had all these shipmates that just said to me, I'm not going to let you screw this up for yourself. And they kind of took my success personally. And then I took their good time personally. You know, I was not going to let the most boring college on planet earth wreck their four-year college degree. So I didn't know if Buzzards Bay was nearly as the same or if that was a uniquely casting thing we we uh we have a very similar way and um you know i, I think it's about shipmates you know when you go to sea together that changes a lot um and there's a lot of focus around the realities of life in the environment when you go to sea there's no there's no negotiation on that so you know regardless of what kind of student you are if you are willing to to want to do this everyone will take care of you and that's that's the principle of of the shipmate yeah. and people taking care of each other i mean i agree yeah uh you know being on a ship there are no there's no do-overs for a lot of stuff and um being on a ship there's no other experiences that i can think of that can prepare you for it you've either done it or you haven't and with things breaking all the time with opportunities for catastrophic failures, you know, that leads me to where you are now. You're, you're a, uh, you, you are a ship's pilot. You have somehow managed to become a captain in the United States Navy Reserve. I don't, I don't know how that has happened. Um, do you have your unlimited license too? I'm an unlimited master. Yes. So you're like a captain, captain. You hold on. You're like, you're like, hold on. Let me get this straight. You're like, you're like a captain, 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 because you're a pilot, you're a Navy captain, and you're a merchant marine captain. So you're like triple captain, captain. <laughs> I'm just a dude. I yeah, um... <laughs> whatever. Okay. So uh, you're a ship's pilot, you're a harbor pilot, 
Commonwealth yes. pilot. You, uh, you are a merchant marine captain. And you have, again, through just attrition, I've got to believe, did everybody else quit? You became a <laughs> captain in the United States Navy Reserve, which is quite an accomplishment for what we uh, graduated with. Not a lot of guys make that rank, buddy. So that is quite an accomplishment. Well, thank you, Pete. I, I think... Uh... I think I've surprised myself more than more than you think on this. I never I wake up every day wondering how this has happened. And um, so it's uh, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm just very fortunate. Blessed for hard that. work, bud. I, I mean, false humility, hard work. And then that leads us to kind of where we are with our conversation today. Amongst all of those other things, <clears throat> I am I'm with you today on <clears throat> what is the first week of a magnanimous, I think is the word. Uh, occasion, which is the launch of your newest, um, the newest entity of all of the companies that are kicking around the internet on all the different uh, brass plaques that have been slapped on LinkedIn talking about cybersecurity. There is a new and very important one that has your name associated with it, uh, you and your partner, and it's doing uh, it's doing God's work, and it is called True North if I have that correct. And uh, it is, if I may say so, pretty bad ass. So if you could talk about what it is you guys are doing, um, the direction the company is going, what your mission is, and let my uh, well over 100,000 listeners in this industry know what's happening. First of all, I can't tell you how proud I am. And second of all, uh, how excited I am to hear what you guys are doing. Oh, Pete, thank you. Um, so our new company is called True North Group. And um, and uh, our, my business partner, Chris Dunley, and I have been teammates uh, in our prior uh, place of employment for uh, several years. In fact, we started working together um, back in 2015 when I was with yet a, a previous team, and he was a client. Uh, at the time, he was a uh, manager of uh, operations out at one of the West Coast container terminals in the port of Long Beach. And, um, and we were doing early cyber assessments and ports. Uh, as part of research, and uh, he he opened the door right to us. Um, one of the reasons is that he's a Mass Maritime alumni. So, uh, oh, uh, yeah. Oh. So you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, look, you gotta use your connections. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, uh, it's it's how the waterfront works, and and we we but we still had to prove our capability and our worth, and um, absolutely, and. Um, and we did, and, and it helped their terminal. Um, and as you know, the Port of Long Beach is, is incredibly important to our nation's economy. Um, and uh, so fast forward that, Chris uh, departed uh, that, that place of employment about uh, three years ago, and he joined our team. Um, and it was just fortune. We had just uh, won a contract with uh, uh, a nationally significant port and, um, performing uh, cybersecurity assessments for a mul a multiple container terminals. And uh, he joined our team and was part of that win. And, and of course, without question, uh, you know, a center of gravity of our success because of speaking the language uh, of the industry sector uh, and the ability to, uh, you know, synthesize the nuances of the business with the cybersecurity uh, uh, work that we were doing to really have an accurate uh, project. So, I mean, uh, Really, and the long and the short of it is, uh, you know, there's no, there's no other person I'd, I'd, I'd have on this team in, in this way in terms of the knowledge and the dependability and the honesty and that, you know, we're all about building an honest business 
um, because this is the most sensitive uh, security work in industry right now, and it couldn't come at a better time. No, I couldn't agree more. So what, what I've always been fascinated by with what you focus on <clears throat> or what you were focusing on, I don't want to put words in your mouth. It was always that that part of the logistics infrastructure that you and I have had a lot to do with, and that's ships, ports, maritime infrastructure. Is that still what you're focused on or is it a broader approach? No, very much the same. And to answer your earlier question about our mission is that we keep cargo and logistics and trade moving you know, by helping our clients be resistant to cyber threat. And we do this by simplifying the cyber problem, making it visible, tangible. And, by, and we do that through overlaying our industry and operations expertise with the cyber uh, from our business partners. And so, um, you know, when I first started with cyber, and I said this to our clients last, last couple of weeks and over many times over this last several years was, you know, this started with navigation safety. And I thought in my own world as a ship captain and a pilot, you know, that, that uh, you know, this was my thing. But we rapidly learned that it was about cargo management. It's about a lot of other things, engineering. And that led us to the terminals, which really became the, the larger market for us because the terminals are, are ecosystems of interdependent um, critical infrastructure. It's not just the port facility, it's energy, it's transportation, it's finance, it's a lot of different things. And particularly if you've watched the news in the last 24 hours, which, which has been discussed in the summit overseas, is about the 16 infrastructures. And you can, you can combine any number of them into an interdependent ecosystem, which is a port. And there's nothing more important than understanding the confluence uh, of those people, processes, and equipment, all of which are more digitalized than ever and accelerating all the time. And so um, this has been an, an, a, a super meaningful area of work. You know me, I, you know, you asked me the question about maritime early and what it was about selecting a school. It, it's a, to me, it's about purpose. I can't just be in a, in, a, in, a, in a room someplace with four walls. I have to have purpose. And our team is like that. And uh, our clients are like that. And uh, that really boils down to the passion that we have for uh, building a resistance movement against the cyber threat. I love that. Um, you know, there's, there's two topics I did not want to forget to talk to you about today. One of them was, I'm, I've been a big proponent in a lot of my speeches about going on the offense, about uh, getting off this back foot. And I really feel like that is where we have been in this reactionary posture over and over again, and maybe being more I guess, is it aggressive? Is that the right word? And let's just look at it maybe from the shipping side of things, ship owners or, or ports. Is that realistic? Am I just blowing smoke saying that companies could be more aggressive, that we could take a offensive structure rather than defensive? I think we could be more aggressive with our defense, if that's a better way of answering the question. I think we could be more aggressive by by expecting more from government to help us. Hmm. Um, I think we can be more aggressive through relying less on talk and doing and, and actually doing like in looking to each other on the left and the right on the firing line, our, our business partners, our independent um, capabilities by saying, what are you doing? And let me show you what I'm doing. And because the conversation and relationship is changing because of digitalization, and we have to accommodate that um, in, in the way we work, um, the customers expect it, you know. Um, and, and so that's really the answer to that question is there isn't a single 
there isn't a single point approach here. It's a, it's a really a team effort. And I would say that one of the greatest lessons learned from the port projects we've been on is it's all been a team effort, even competitors working together. Right. So if you and, and you know, you know very well that there are some great examples about how competitors and government organizations work together around a common cause. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that in that common cause, you know, one of the things it's not so much a competitor, but it certainly is a big part of this ecosystem. I read today preparing for speech I'm going to give in like a half hour here. Uh, <laughs> the insurance for ransomware and insurance for cyber has gone up 27% in the past year. You know, these insurance companies are, and not only that, man, they're, they're telling people no a lot more. Like these, these insurance companies, Lloyd's of London and these, these captives, they're just telling companies, we've done a, a, a cursory review of your defenses. No, we're not going to, we're not going to insure you because we're just saying, uh, the, the likelihood of you being popped is low, you know, it's statistically low, but if you are hit, you have nothing. You have absolutely nothing stopping these guys if they decide to target you. So you haven't done the basic work necessary because 90% of, of, of the reason that a company gets hit is because of the human beings that work for you. So systems aside, you probably got a moron that works for you theoretically. And, um, you know, you've done nothing to prepare yourself. So we're just not going to insure you. So I, I look at companies like yours. I look at how difficult, complicated, and, and brutally competitive the, the marine insurance market is. And, I, and I, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, the time is so ripe right now for someone to be just honest with the ship owners and say, mm. you're, you're playing with fire, guys. You're playing with fire. There's there's far too much that can go wrong if you don't decide to go out there and plant, plant your, your flag in the sand and say, this is where we make our stand and we're just not going to get pushed around by a bunch of thugs in some basement somewhere in Odessa. Yeah, it's a huge point, Pete. And um, I, I can't comment on the insurance piece so much um, because that's a moving target um, and it is increasing. But I'll tell you that if you look at the situation with uh, the pipeline issue from a couple of weeks okay. ago, um, this was brought up in another uh, panel that I, that I was on uh, yesterday, um, which was about how the Coast Guard had talked about, you know, the, the, the concern of redundancy and how, how other industry sectors can learn from the maritime sector and how we've been doing business on ships for a long time, which is you have two steering pumps, you've got you know, you got two windless motors, you've got one, two, you have redundancy. Um, I don't know uh, what other in infrastructures have for redundancy, but the conversation has to be about if your primary system or your existing system goes down, what do you have as a backup? What will you, sh what will you fail over to? Because you owe that answer to the customers. Absolutely. You know, sorry, but that's the way it is. And I think it needs to be said bluntly to all industry, frankly. Yeah. Well, uh, let's 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 take it back to the ships, right? I was god awful at Celestial. It was a combination of all the things that I was terrible at: patience, details, basic mathematics, right? Eyesight. Just put it all together. Um, you know, for a lacrosse goalie, I had crap hand-eye coordination. But the 
we had a guy named Captain Mack who was our celestial professor. And he would say over and over again, this stuff will eventually break or it won't be around anymore. You know, Laurel, all, all it's not, it's not going to work eventually. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need this. And damn it, if that mean old fart wasn't right on my cadet shipping, you know, and I had to bust out the old sextant and mm-hmm. do sunlines and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. I thought I read someplace that the Navy was making these guys learn it. I'm not sure if the academies still are anymore. Yeah, it's it's true. They're, they've gone back. It's amazing that they went away from it. Um, and it just, just goes to show how things happen in these cycles, but it should have never gone away. In fact, you know, I practiced celestial navigation to the very last day I sailed. I came ashore in 2007 and I went to become a full-time pilot after that. Um, but um, celestial is reliable. It's there, you know, if you, you know, weather permitting and visibility permitting it's there you have dead reckoning you have many other ways to navigate and our job as navigators and mariners is to practice by all means it's not to simply rely on a single on a single means gps or or some other convenience and um and so i i learned in the old school and i think that there are some different ways of thinking but you know um when you look at a primary way of failing and what the impact of that is and not having another way um, what's the cognitive ability to be able to proceed? Yeah. Are you comfortable with what you have in place or are you entirely dependent on that? And I can tell you right now, some of the work that we've done, we have determined that there's entire dependency on a single point of, of, of doing work that is digitally dependent. And if it's out, it's out and everything stops. That's ridiculous. That, that has to change. It has to change yesterday. And it's, and it's not a novel concept. You know, not allowing people to be in your networks is the same thing as not allowing someone to walk into your house without your authorization. How do you what get is, there, Alex? What how, is so hard about happen? that? How does this, how do you make such a massive oversight like that? Of just saying, you know what, one's good enough. It's just, it's I, fine. It's a long conversation. And I, there, there have been some answers to this in different ways. Clients have told us that we just get, you know, uh, uh, banged on by, by technology or technologists to say, take my thing and, you know, buy this and you will, you will be resilient. You know, that's all got to change. Um, it's as a team sport. This is very much an all hands on deck effort. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, if I can do this, anybody can do it. If you can take a Mariner and, and, and get control of the situation, and focus on only on what you can control. Don't chase the bad guys. That's not what this is about. This is about not letting people in that don't belong. It's as simple as that. Well, there's a reason why mariners always end up on spaceships, dude. Like I guarantee you, I guarantee you that when when uh, crazy ass Elon ends up sending people to Mars, there's gonna be a sailor on that ship because um, you know we know how to cook eggs and fix crap. So. Uh, but I, I digress, right? You were, you were talking about that, that single point of failure and, and, and all those other pieces that, that revolve around it and how there's backups to backups to backups. The, the thing that really scares me, if you look at a port, if you look at America's transportation infrastructure, you gave me a line probably like 2016 or so, the continued digitization of the transportation industry, right? the the network digitization there are not many industries and you know i will i will i will fight people on this there are not many industries that are as connected and networked as ours 
that are, one of the things that makes it so wonderful is how connected we are. From the ships that are at sea right now to individual pieces of inventory that are sitting on a target shelf. I mean, the, the level of connectivity. And now what are we doing? We're making it even more connected with these transportation management systems that are linked to the point of global satellites on them. The level of connectivity that I don't even know if we really needed that level of connectivity. So they're so intertwined. It just takes one of these morons to leave the back door open and you've got another solar winds. And maybe this time it's, it's even nastier than the last one. So I think about that leading up to a vessel. And maybe it's not a container vessel, man. Maybe it's one of these LNG ships coming into port. I'm not as worried about the vessels as I am the ports. Yeah. Because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a confluence. And, you know, let me be clear. Technology is not the enemy. I think that there's some amazing innovations. And, and that is the future. The problem is the decision-making process. Where is security prioritized in here? Where are the conversations being had through the procurement process, through the strategic planning? These are things that we're doing with our clients, you know, and that our clients have asked our, our help with, which is we want to we want to go here. But we have all these different resources we'd like to consider. How does this work for us? And how do we include not just for efficiency, but how do we have security hand in hand with that? Yeah. Because we can't we can't we can't. We can't get there without doing both. It has to be both. No, damn it, Alex, the, the security professional at name your company, you know, your company here is not talking to the, the technology leadership over here. The technology leadership mm -hmm. dude over here, do that, generally does not have a security background. And I'm telling mm -hmm. you right now, because we know them all, the security leadership over here, absolutely, I mean, they don't know how to charge their phone without one of us showing them how to do it. There is a, a huge disconnect when it comes to communicating mm -hmm. between the two of them. And that leads me to my next question. So you are the you are the chair of the cybersecurity committee for the Known Alliance. Thank you for being voluntold that that was your new job. Uh, it was very kind of you. It's, a, um, it's an honor. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And um, you know, as such, we we dabble in the blockchain. Um, do you see blockchain? Is being any kind of a, like any, is it, is it just one, is it, is blockchain applicable yet to helping to solve these problems or is it just, is it, is it a word people throw around like a volleyball because it sells, it gets clicks on internet reports? Blockchain is enticing and exciting because of the security potential that it has. Um, and there's a lot being learned about it all the time. But I can tell you that based on what you see in the news every day, we need to be angling in the direction of what something like blockchain provides because a lot of what's being done now is insufficient. You see it in the news. So I'm not an expert on blockchain, but what I'll tell you is that to create relationships that are secure and trusted, um, some call it zero trust, some call it let's sit down and talk and let's set up a system that we know exists that, that is trusted and secure is a huge step forward than what we're doing now. Because here's the thing, and you talked about it earlier, the volume right now, 5G, the speed, 
uh, edge computing, the distance that's shorted, uh, that's shortened where data is, is stored close to devices, all the way down to sensors on industrial systems and machines. And then on top of that, um, AI and ML, all these things are going, going to speed speed the, the, the data and create data that it's at a greater volume than before. We need a means of being ahead of it in the fourth generation uh, of cyber. And, um, you know, to answer your question finally about blockchain is I think that that's a step in, a direct, in the right direction. You have to have a means of having trusted relationships. Well, with that, uh, it is time for us to, because we're running out of time, go to something that has only happened a few times on this show which is a new set of questions. First of all, how, how's Andre swimming? I need, need to ask you that. Oh, great. Thank you. He's going to go to the New England Championships next month. So in, in your town, in Manchester. Yes, you guys are coming to visit uh, me. I'm excited yes. about that. I'm very excited about that. Uh, are you bringing either of the dogs with you? Uh, no, they will be in their spas. I so. see. Okay. Well, yes. um, always welcome to bring them to, um, you know, to my place if you'd like. Thank you. Yeah, uh, but it's very rare that someone has come enough times where I have to come up with another set of three questions that have nothing to do with trade. But here you go, Alex. Three questions that have nothing. Now, can you confirm that I have not asked you these questions ahead of time? I can confirm. Yes. Okay. All right. So with that, Alex, three questions that have nothing to do with trade. <laughs> Question number one, what is the first concert that you ever went to without your parents? Ah, without my parents. That would have been you too in 1987. Yes. So without your parents, 87. So was that Joshua yeah. Tree? It was, yeah. Oh man. Wushta. I was at that show. Amazing. We've had way too many parallel lives, man. We have, man, we have. Uh, that was an incredible record. First of all, that was one of, that is the, um, so With or Without You was the first song I ever learned to play on a bass. Um, I was way too fat and I did not have the right hair for the Bono um, ponytail, but I, <laughs> I guess I desperately wanted to have the Bono look. Um, so you had to be in the rhythm section. Yeah, oh, please. Man. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a lead singer, but um, I, I've got to be out in front of everyone. That whole record from start to finish is absolutely incredible. Josh. Yeah, yeah, it, it totally is. I, I studied classical piano growing up, and uh, but I, I loved all all different types of music. But uh, the the Joshua Tree album was was fantastic. Do you have a record player? No, I don't. So about a month and a half ago or so, I bought for maybe 70 bucks on Amazon, a Bluetooth record player. And, and here's why. So, you know, I've got, I've got all of Castle Anthrax here is all set up with Bluetooth speakers and crap. And we'll be playing Uno. So Jen and Charlotte and I will be sitting over here at the table playing Uno. And we have fights about what song we're gonna listen to next. But when you put a record on, you gotta play it the whole side. And then you turn it over and you play it. And then, okay, you can play a record now too. This helps with a lot of things. First of all, they're all my records. So mm -hmm. I know I like everything. And I don't have to listen to my daughter's crappy music. Mm -hmm. Number two, you get the feel for the whole record because you know you play side one and side two. Alex, I'm buying you a record player. I'm buying you a Bluetooth record player. And we're gonna- <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, we are gonna get you 
uh, we were going to get you into that. Okay, number two. In yeah, we're going to get the kids, uh, the, the kid into, into music. This is a hard question, but favorite movie? Favorite movie. Don't I would say. To, don't, don't be a dink and be like, oh, you know, personally, I, you know, I really like thematically where the crying game went. No, I need you to like favorite movie like you can say caddyshack it's cool or star wars like or you could you know you could you could say passion of the christ or 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 the longest day like i don't care but like if you had to watch one movie from start to finish and the second you were done you die like what is your favorite movie i would say um amadeus amadeus yeah oh, that's a good one yeah, yeah that's a beautiful film too yeah, I. Um, it's such a. It was such an awesome movie. It was funny and it was serious, um, but it was actually my favorite classical composer was Mozart. I just and he was a bit of a rogue. Also, he was a bit of a crazy person, and you know, I just you know, it's. I liked I, I like stories like that, like Catcher in a Rye type stories, you know, uh, and, and, and uh, so I, I really loved the movie. I love the story. That's a good one. I've never heard that. As yeah. His favorite people. I like that. All right. Yeah. Final question. And uh, did, you can take this just about anywhere you want, but I have to have a definitive answer. You are allowed to pick one superpower. And uh, what would that superpower be? That would be to see into the future. All right, so prescience. You'd want to be able to prescience. see. Prescience. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd want that. <laughs> I don't think I'd want that. I think that why? would be, why, you know, um, well, first of all, if you were to ask a lot of people what my superpower is, they'd tell you that I see into the future. And, and I can generally tell you what's going to happen. And normally, it's not pleasant, man. Uh, and, but second of all, like, I don't think I, I don't think I want, like, what if I could tell how I'm going to die or, or how people I love are going to die? And, and then, I don't know, like surprises are kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I like prescience because it's just the mariner in me and we're always looking ahead. Okay. Right. You know, and, and uh, I would say as a close alternate, and I think about this actually quite a bit, in challenging circumstances is the ability to communicate with my, you know, my, my late grandfather or my late great uncle, you know, and what they went through in, in wars and surviving. And, you know, I would love to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like to be able to have five minutes with them. I forget where I was watching where that was someone's superpower. And I'm like, I, I thought that seems kind of dumb until then like over and over again in the movie it was shown how awesome a power superpower it was and i felt kind of stupid but no i i get it um so there you go my superpower would be invulnerability and i would go into bars and start fights every night because i have a huge mouth and i love to start crap i'm so, not surprised uh, yeah i imagine that so with, with that alex um Best of luck. I don't think you're going to need it. Uh, there are a lot of people who love you and you are going to absolutely crush this. And given the fact that the world is a goat rodeo, yeah, I don't think you're going to have a very hard time staying busy. So 
Um, best of luck with the True North Group. Thank you for coming on today and educating our listeners. And uh, if there's ever anything we can do for you here, maybe a couple months from now, you can come back on and tell us how things are going. And uh, yeah, man, can't wait for you to come over, listen to records with me. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Thank you, Pete. All right, buddy. Thanks, everyone, for uh, listening. And thanks for coming on, Alex. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks, buddy.